The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Everybody, welcome to the Pick Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily and a CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I have trouble with punctuation when it comes to things that are plural, like sports is. You see what I'm saying? Like the apostrophe when you verbalize it. Brady Quinn knows what I'm talking about. He struggled with that mightily in his six years at Notre Dame. Uh, he wasn't there for six years because he was good at football. He's there because he couldn't get through. Uh, what is it? English 101, Brady? Right, English one one. Where'd you go to? You went to state school, didn't you? I did. <laughs> okay. We didn't all grow up pampered, right? Some of us are blue collar heroes. Okay. Um, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot. Uh, by the way, we were supposed to have some uh, air horns loaded up under this the new soundboard app, but uh, I messed them up, so I'll have to do it myself. Pow 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 pow. That's how sad I am about the soundboard. Also, of course, here Ryan Wilson. This is the podcast, but we do have a video show. You can watch, uh, you can come check out my, my, my cool slick back hair that Brady's obsessed with and Brady's, uh, sweet jacket. You look like Charlie Day. You look like a Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia or many of the other movies, especially with that high pitched thing you do. What does it sound like? <laughs> yeah. Is that right? There you go. That's what perfect. about, uh, Christian Bale from American Psycho? Getting ready to oh, go don't give him that much credit. Jeez, Wilson. Just the murdering spree part, not the handsome, rugged actor. <laughs> Just the murdering spree part. Does this show just go off the rails every single time we get together? Yes. <laughs> they nodded, yes. Uh, and actually, we're not going to do the full BQFBS on YouTube, but we have a bunch of different segments, so you can check those out. That's right. We do plan out this show, contrary to what Ryan thinks. Sort of. Uh, mostly. Um, download, subscribe, leave a review. We're getting close to the magic number of 1,000 five star or 1000 reviews or whatever. And so if people want to do that, it would be awesome. Uh, it will get me a raise. And, uh, Brady is frankly, Brady's job is on the line right now. They're thinking about firing him. And if we get to a thousand reviews, they said he can stick around for a little while. So, uh, please, we're begging for Brady. I don't know why I'm harassing you today. I was just going to say, I mean, maybe it's because I took a shot at Jamie yesterday, making fun of all the fantasy guys out there talking in defense of Matt Ryan. Like he's been playing good this year. I was like, good gosh, man. Has anyone watching that team? Falcons are awful. They are terrible. And, uh, actually, it's a great segue because they got worse on Tuesday. They traded Mohamed Sanu to the, uh, to the New England Patriots for a second round pick. This is surprising, I think, because, uh, nobody, I don't think most people believe that Mohamed Sanu would fetch a second round pick. He does have one more year on his contract. Um, he is a very interesting player, but not a high volume player. I predicted on Tuesday morning after the trade happened that he will throw a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. And that's exactly why the Patriots were willing to give up a second round pick because their second round picks, Brady, are probably more like a third round pick. How do you like this addition of Mohamed Sanu to the New England Patriots? Before I answer that, how fast until someone mentions 28 to three? How fast? To him? Yes. Uh, 10, 15 seconds after he walks in the door. <laughs> Do you think there'll be a big banner where they're like, hey, you're on our side now. Sorry about that. Uh, Do you, would you remember when there's a clip of him at the Super Bowl and he's like, we're hanging 40 on these boys. And it's like, I have some bad news. Yeah, it's not going to work out. Uh, maybe revisionist history. You know, he can try to block it out in his mind. Look, this is a great pickup for the Patriots for this reason. Uh, he's versatile. He can play in the slot. He can play in the backfield. He can play out wide. Uh, and he can run a variety of routes. He, he's got good hands. He's tough. He's physical. He's perfect for Josh McDaniel's system. And I think this tells you a little bit about maybe what they think of Josh Gordon right now. And we know he's battled some stuff off the field in the past. It'd be concerning for me moving forward with them making this move. But you bring up a great point, Will. You know, their second round pick is I mean, it's outside the top 60 players year in, year out in the draft because they're always finishing, usually in the AFC Championship game, if not in the Super Bowl. So because of that, uh, they have a hard time being able to even draft guys who have first-round grades because their first-round draft pick is usually uh, somewhere 30, 31, 32. 
And so if that's the case, why not? I mean, you're most likely just going to move on the draft anyway to try to target certain players. So I have no problem with him giving up a second-round pick for a guy who's a proven commodity in the league, perfect fit for their system, and they still got him for another year and a half. So it makes complete sense. I think I saw a stat uh, earlier today. Their entire wide receiver group, they all have them this year in the salary cap for like 13 or 13.5 million bucks. Think about that. Their entire group combined in salaries equates to like 13 million and change. When you look at some of the other players and what they're getting, in particular a guy like Julio Jones, for example, on the Atlanta Falcons, and how much cap space he takes up. So uh, they seem to do more with less. This is a great fit, uh, a good trade in my opinion. And by the way, it could work out for both parties. You know, Obviously, Atlanta's looking to build towards the future. If any of the other teams had traded a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu, we'd be crushing him right now. But you guys are right. This pick is going to be in the 60s. And perhaps more important than that, the Patriots are absolutely terrible at drafting guys in the second round. You go back to 2013 um, through this uh, last draft, they have one guy on the roster, two guys if you count Jordan Richards, who you probably have no, have no idea who that is, who they just re-signed in October after cutting him a few years ago. 2013 was Aaron Dobson. He's out of the league. 2014, Jimmy GQ was traded. I mentioned Richards. Cyrus Jones is now playing with the Ravens. They didn't have a, 20, uh, a second rounder in 2017. Duke Dawson lasted one year. Uh, before he was, um, before he moved on to Denver. And then Juwan Williams, the, the cornerback out of Vandy, has played 22 snaps this year. Makes a ton of sense. The defense isn't the problem. The offense is, is a huge issue, relatively speaking. This certainly helps Tom Brady. So yeah, this is an A plus trade. Uh, the Falcons, meanwhile, have a lot of salary cap issues. So they're, they're accumulating picks, but they have a ton of work to do. I would say that. With the Patriots' success on defense, and I think there's an argument seven weeks in that they may very well be the greatest defense of all time, seven weeks into the season. I know they haven't played anybody, but they're locking everybody down. we got to see them go against Lamar and, and Dak and uh, Patrick Mahomes, we hope, and Carson Wentz and everybody else. But statistically speaking, they're right there with the other great defenses. Um, their offense isn't very good. It's just, it's just not that great. I mean, Tom Brady's awesome. I'm sure he'll figure it out. I'm not worried about that in the slightest, but they don't run the ball effectively and they miss, they're missing some of their pass catchers. And I think you're spot on Brady when you point out that Josh Gordon may not be guaranteed to stick around and Sanu can play outside or inside a bigger bodied type of guy. I, I don't know what I would do fantasy value wise in terms of Sanu. I mean, I think this helps him because the Falcons are terrible and. I mean, Matt Ryan's banged up, but the Patriots are so good at distributing the ball around that I don't know that he's somebody you're necessarily going to want to start on a regular basis. Uh, Calvin Ridley, this should help. Uh, Austin Hooper, this should help in terms of a bump up, although they could be missing Matt Ryan, so we'll see about that. Hey, um, you know, I'm supposed to go to an Emmanuel Sanders trade thing, but I, I want to ask you, Brady, what do you think about the notion floated by uh, Adam Schefter on Monday night that And he said this on the set of Monday Night Countdown or like when they're on the field, like everyone's watching it because it's leading up to the game, the only game on TV. So you don't float this if it's not something that is, I don't know, you believe in, right? And he thinks Tom Brady is, set quote, setting himself up to leave New England by putting his house on the market, his trainer's house is on the market, and uh, his contract's up. Do you buy or sell that idea? Uh, I, I sell that idea because – if he's doing that, then he's doing that because he's done playing football. He's retiring. I can't see him going to another team. Uh, I just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, is there maybe curiosity to see what it'd be like to play under a different head coach in a different system where you can prove to people like, Hey, it wasn't just because I was a quarterback under Bill Belichick. Like I had a lot to do with it. I, I don't feel like he needs to do that. And I, I don't, he doesn't strike me as the type. Uh, to want to do that and, and start all over again. I think any quarterback that's done that, you can talk to Peyton Manning about even his transition to a really, really good Denver Broncos team that had defense, had good receivers. Uh, when he first got over to, to the Broncos, there was a transition period. There was a lot of guys who had a hard time catching on with the offense, with the language and the verbiage and everything changing every single week. So, uh, I'm not sure Tom Brady would want to do that. Uh, and, and I think he's close with Josh McDaniels and, uh, loves playing within that system. So, uh, if that was the case, it would be because he's moving on to a different stage in his life, not to a different organization. But I'm not going to read into it too much right now. I, I think we, we're, we're so, we're always looking to try to be the first to call when we see the end or the beginning of the end. Can we just cherish this? I mean, I don't know that we're ever going to see a guy at 42 years old 
be able to play at this high of a level. And and he's the greatest of all time, in my opinion. I think he's got the greatest resume when you look at what he's done with the New England Patriots. And for such a long period of time, in the beginning of his career, middle and end, uh, I think we, we need to cherish what we have in him right now because it's regardless of what people think with sports science, nutrition, everything else changed, you're not going to see people being as good as Tom Brady is right now at 42 years old in the future. Mm. Hot takes from Brady on Brady. That's what I'm talking about. Brady talks Brady. That could be your – you could do a, a Tom Brady only podcast where you yeah, only and, talk about Brady. It would be Brady on Brady. Well, and, and and just from watching the game last night, granted that the New York Jets doesn't have the best defense, but, you know, offensively you could say they're struggling. I, I, look, I think they've got a different motive. They want to try to run the football. Uh, to me, I, I watch them operate with it, within that system masterfully. And, and I think their offensive line obviously is – not playing quite as well as they'd like, uh, but this is still a really good offensive team. I think when they need to turn it on, they can. Uh, and, and so I'm not as concerned maybe as, as you seem to sound about their offense or about Tom Brady not right now, Will. Uh, and I know it's a, you know, polarizing difference from, you know, looking how good their defense is playing compared to their offense. Uh, but still, like, I'm not concerned about this team on the offensive side of the football right now. I should, I should probably say what I, I should probably clarify what I, what I said when I said that their offense stinks. I don't think their offense stinks. In fact, their offense is exactly what I said it would be before the season repeatedly. It's going to be a Ferrari in the garage type of offense. They have a great defense that's going to lock people down. They have a crap schedule. They have a garbage division. The Bills are okay, but they're probably the worst five and one team we've seen in a few years. Worse even than that Alex Smith uh, Chiefs team. Um, the, the Patriots are going to, they've taken their odds off the, off the board in some spots in Vegas because it's such a lock that the Patriots are going to win the division. And so, um, I think what they want to do is they want to go out there and be physical and pound the ball, live in the short yardage passing game, take some shots downfield when they can, but by and large, just get to January and February healthy, and then they know that they just have to win three games uh, because they'll have that bye more than likely with Patrick Mahomes getting hurt. Just win three games, and you got another Super Bowl. I think that's their formula. They just they don't they don't need to blow people out. Do you agree or disagree, Ryan? Or break? No, that's exactly right, and. and- the only issue, I mean, with this offense isn't what we've seen it be, but that's fine. Bill Belichick seems to have some idea what he's doing. The only issue I have is, and this has been an issue for as long as Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been together, is why does he continue to leave Tom Brady in the game late? Now, I know he took Tom Brady out earlier in the season. Jared Stidham came in through a pick six. He put Tom Brady back in. It's just going to take one injury, and that's going to be a wrap because you're not coming back from that. Otherwise, I have no issue with anything Bill Belichick does, even trying to, to uh, run back-to-back. Uh, false starts and or delay games to, to anger Adam Gase. I love the fact that he did that, by the way, because everyone thinks it's about angering what? Adam Gase, but at the same time, it did reveal a little bit of a loophole in the rules that I'm sure will be changed come next year when the competition committee uh, is looking at the fact he was able to milk, what, like a minute and 20 seconds off the clock or whatever it ended up being, uh, even though he was taking back-to-back penalties. So he's a genius. He's brilliant. I can't remember who exactly I was talking to about this, but they were discussing how Bill Belichick knows like what the market is for a free agent off the street or like a practice squad player more so than anyone else. Uh, you know, he, he looks at it almost like the stock market every day and understands the rates that comes along with signing one of those guys and just how to handle the cap. So uh, he's just so tuned in on everything from the salary cap to the rules and, and where there's gray area and where he can maybe force the league to make it more black and white uh, and it's a little bit more defined. Otherwise, they're just going to keep kind of pressing that issue uh, until someone makes it more defined. I, I love that about them. Uh, I love the dominance that they continually show and just they, they always make you feel like they're always just a one step ahead of everyone else. And I know sometimes that feels like, you know, maybe they're doing something wrong or like they've got an unfair advantage. But I just think it's how smart that entire organization is, in particular Bill Belichick. It's Bill Belichick. It, it is amazing. I know we got to move on. And Debo's going to yell at me in a minute. That's fine. I don't care. Um, Bill Belichick is like is like a master strategist, a old school football coach, a like high end economist, and like a like a, a Supreme Court level lawyer all wrapped into one. He knows every single thing about every single rule and knows every single loophole that he can exploit to win in terms of the rule book and in terms of roster building. And he also, like you said, Brady has a valuation on everything. And he knows, as you pointed out as well, uh, that you can, it's like, you know, people are like, Oh, they win because the quarterback's cheap. It's like, well, they also don't pay anything for the wide receivers ever. Like they never pay anything for the wide receivers or their running backs. He's smart like that. So, um, yeah. The, uh, 
Patriots are pretty good. Also pretty good, the San Francisco 49ers. They're still undefeated, but they came up just short as they were pursuing Ryan, a wide receiver. They wanted Mohamed Sanu. He played with Kyle Shanahan before. Instead, they had to settle uh, to give up a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick for Emmanuel Sanders and a fifth-round pick. Do you like the Niners shoving all in here? Yeah, no, absolutely. They need some uh, help at wide receiver. As it stands, George Pittle leads the team with 34 receptions. Next on that list is Debo Samuel, the rookie with 15. Uh, of all their pass catchers, no one has more than one touchdown. So Manny Sanders makes a ton of sense. He's battled injuries, of course, and I think 2016 was the last year he had more than 1,000 receiving yards. And even then, the advanced metrics had him at about 30th in terms of value per play. So he's not going to come in right away and take over, but most of isn't going to do that either in, in uh, New England, nor would he have done that in San Francisco. But I think whoever you get, and someone like Manny Sanders' talent, by the way, Manny Sanders made it clear that he wanted to be out of Denver. He talked to Vic Fangio about it last week, according to Nikki Javala of The Athletic, uh, our buddy. And uh, so he got his wish, and now the issue is how does Kyle Shanahan make it work? And I suspect Kyle Shanahan will have very little trouble getting Manny Sanders incorporated. It's just a matter of how soon can he do it. And uh, this is great news for San Francisco. I have no issue with it. And the good news for Denver is they get more draft picks, so uh, John Noe can draft more quarterbacks. He will eventually be out of the league in two or three years. Jeez. With a hammer. I mean, look, I think we're, we're, we're going to admit this. The Broncos are in a rebuild mode. We know that. Uh, I like this uh, trade for the 49ers. One, they're signaling the fact they're all in. They're going after it. I think San- Sanders can be that guy who can move the sticks and a more reliable number one wide receiver than really what they have. And it's nothing against George Kittle. He's tremendous as a tight end, maybe the best in the league right now. But you got to have a guy on the outside that, that can get open and that can win that tight coverage. And I think Emmanuel Sanders – you know, probably still has a couple good years left on him where he can do that uh, and move the sticks on third down or be a guy who can make a play in the red zone and score a touchdown. Doesn't have the elite, elite speed anymore, but they don't need that. They've got Marquise Goodwin. Even though he's not healthy, he'll eventually be back. And so when you look at the makeup of this roster, when you include Debo Samuel in there as well, I like the different compliments that they have to go along with the rushing attack and Matt Braid out of the backfield. So I think this makes a lot of sense. I actually think, too, I'd expect him to be in there sooner rather than later because if you look at who their offensive coordinator was in Denver, Rich Scangarillo, his roots trace back to the Mike Shanahan system. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan has the same exact verbiage. So I do think he'll be able to get up to speed. I wouldn't be shocked if he wasn't playing uh, potentially as, as soon as this upcoming weekend. Yeah, in fact, uh, as Adam Schefter of ESPN reported that um, the – Broncos wanted to hold on to Sanders for one more week so he could play against Indianapolis. Cause I think they're trying, you know, John always trying to do like a, eh, maybe we still got something left in the tank here. Spoiler, they don't. Um, but I, uh, I, I believe he, they wanted to try and hold him in. And part of the 49ers negotiation was, listen, we want, if we'll give you a third, but we want him before this game. We want him to play against Carolina. That's a big get for them. I think it, it helps out their offense a lot. Um, is Jimmy Garoppolo having a good year or a bad year, Brady? I think he's having a good year. I mean, I wouldn't say he's having a bad year. I think people always get taken back and they're always in awe of the stats, but he's operating the system that Kyle Shannon has asked him to. Let's just go ahead and remove last week's game, okay? They played in a hurricane. I'm not sure if you saw it there. The entire field was a slip and slide, and and there's not really much you can take away from that other than the fact that they were able to go on the road and get a win. So bottom line, that is what it is. Uh, overall, they don't really have the playmakers on the outside that I think he needs to rely on. They do now on a guy like Emmanuel Sanders with Kittle, with Samuel, eventually with Gooden. So I, I like what they project to be moving forward. Biggest thing to me is he's playing winning, a uh, winning style of football. He's 14 and two as a start in the league so far. I think that's going to continue, uh, under Kyle Shanahan with these two matched together with the talent that they now have. Uh, also in the news, yeah, look at that, Debo. Just Debo's putting together Debo graphics. What a world we live in. Uh, also in the news in terms of big-time player issues, Carrion Johnson put on IR. He can return according to um, whatever the well, reports were. 16? I mean, what's the point? You know, they're yeah. out of the race by then. He just needs to go on IR for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, that's cool. We can come back and help my fantasy team. And I was like, wait, it's week eight. I was like, eight, nine. I did the math. He can't, he's got to be gone eight weeks. He's not coming back. If, if the Lions make the playoffs, he could potentially come back. It is probably a long shot for him to do that. Is there? I know this hurts you, Brian, with the Matt Patricia thing, but Brady, I would ask you, um, do you roll with Ty Johnson and J.D. McKissick if you're the Lions? Are you like trading for Kenyon Drake, signing Jay Ajayi off the free agent wire? What, I mean, what do you, or do you just let Matt Stafford throw the ball 50 times a game? 
Well, I don't think that's what Matt Patricia wants to do, right? That's why he brought in Daryl Bevel and wants to run the football. I think you use what you got. Ty Johnson's very capable, along with McKissick sharing the load to be able to take over and get it done. However, Kenyon Drake's got some ability, and look, if maybe the Dolphins are willing to, you know, trade him for, I don't know, a conditional seventh round pick or something of that, that sort, sixth round pick. Maybe it's not the worst idea to try to bolster that running back group, uh, even though you'd like to think that Kerryon Johnson is the long-term answer. However, this is two years in a row now where he's gotten banged up, and you got to be concerned about the long-term potential of him, and this is going to be a reoccurring issue. So, so big-time concerns, and this is a big loss. I mean, if you look at you know what they want to do running the football, to me, he's their best running back. I think he's showcased that when he's when he's gotten enough carries. Um, and you know it, it takes away their ability to consistently rely on a guy like that. Uh, now looking at Ty Johnson, less experience, even though, again, he, he does have some ability. Ability, I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't have uh, some nice games for this team moving forward, but uh, they may want to look at bringing in someone like Kenyon Drake, who's a versatile running back out of Miami. It looks like they're trying to move on and obviously build towards the future. So why not kick the tires on it, see if you can bring a guy like that in for relatively cheap. Hey, Ryan, how much are you going to spend in terms of your free agent uh, auction budget in your fantasy leagues on Ty Johnson this weekend? All of it. <laughs> I believe, actually, if you listen to Fantasy Football Today, uh, they were they advised 10 to 15% if people care about that. And unfortunately for the soundboard, I got an uh, – there's an unbelievable sound of Jamie Eisenberg saying something that out of context is pretty inappropriate. Uh, I'll, I'll text it to you guys separately and you can listen to it. But um, I will. Uh, I, I was going to play it on the on the show, and just let people hear it. But I don't want to say it out loud because it'll sound really weird. So I suggest checking out the newest episode of Fantasy Football Today on Apple Podcasts and search for that. And it, believe me, it is worth searching for. Uh, we will talk some buyers, sellers, maybe some Lamar Jackson and quarterback, Packers, Chiefs, Pete Carroll, much more after the break. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Big Six Podcast. Reminder, you cannot just listen to this show, but you can watch some clips of the podcast on YouTube, cbssports.com slash YouTube, and then go click the little thing that says videos, and then look for the green things. And when you, I don't know why I'm doing hand motions for this, but when you click on the, when you do that, you can see the things on YouTube. You can see the green backgrounds, big green backgrounds, and that's how you will know. Did I say Utah? It's youtube.com slash cbssports, not cbssports.com slash YouTube. Um, youtube.com slash cbssports, click videos, look for the green thing. You can see lots of, uh, lots of clips of us talking about Things related to football. I've been to, however, things related to football. Look, I gotta tell you, Brady, I am enamored with Lamar Jackson. His development is a, am I, am I, am I crazy? All right, let me, let me ask you this. Am I crazy for thinking that he is rapidly developing, not just as a runner in this league, but also as a passer? And that I think the work that Greg Roman and John Harbaugh and that offense have done, if they can really get some weapons around him, he is going to be unstoppable in a couple of years. 
He's progressed. I, I don't know that I'm, I'm walking away right now saying that he could just purely play from the pocket and be able to win uh, the amount of football games I think they need to in order to win the division and go off into the playoffs. Um, but he has progressed. I think we saw that early in the season. And at times you see it now intermittently throughout the course of games. But uh, teams are, are still trying to figure out how you stop him running the football. Um, that so far has has been the Achilles heel for most of the opponents they've gone up against when you look at his rushing numbers and where he stands amongst even the running backs in the league right now. I try to sell this to this people to people this every single week. Um, in order to stop design quarterback runs, you have to not bring just one guy into the box, but two guys, right? You want to have an advantage for one guy down for the running back to have the additional defender. So the offensive line and the, you know, the rest of offense has to figure out how they want to block up and who they're going to leave free. But then when you, when you have to incorporate the quarterback as part of that, that evens up those numbers. So you have to bring down a second guy into the box to stop the run. When you do that, you're talking about man to man coverage on the outside, no safety help. So theoretically, what it's done is it's changed how defenses can play this team. And I think they've opted to say, you know what? We're not going to expose ourselves to try to be one on one with Miles Boykin all game or Hollywood Brown when he's back in there healthy because of his elite speed or even a tight end like Mark Andrews. And so because of that, I think they're seeing a little bit more of a zone coverage. They're trying to mix in a little bit more, uh, a variety of, of fronts, coverages and pressures to see if they can just straight up confuse him. But bottom line, it's, it's still not working. And I think eventually someone's going to come up with a game plan, kind of like we saw versus the Chiefs where they started to slow down Patrick Mahomes in that offense. Someone's going to do the same with Lamar Jackson, and then they're going to start to get more accustomed to where his flaws are and, and, and what works. But uh, the, the thing is, is you've got a young group of pass catchers on the outside. As they continue to improve and get better, it's only going to make his life a little bit easier. So he should be talked about in regards to being a part of the MVP conversation with the way he's led his team. Um, what he's doing as far as running, throwing the football is incredible. It's going to be difficult for teams to stop. However, eventually he's going to have to play from the pocket or eventually he's going to get banged up. Uh, these guys are too physical in this league. So, uh, it's, it, you know, we'll see if it can last through 16 games this season. Um, my bet is it, it probably won't either at this rate with the way he's running the football or him being able to maintain his health. To quote the great Bart Scott, I can't wait. By the way, Brent, so we need that as a drop. Until the, uh, the Ravens face the, the Patriots in a couple weeks. Cause then we'll get an idea of what the game plan is to, is going to be to beat Lamar Jackson. That said, Brady, I absolutely love Lamar Jackson. And I say that as a Steelers homer, he is in my mind in two or three years going to be the best player in the NFL, just the things he can do. And as you point out, he's not actually blowing people away with his passing numbers. That said, when you watch him play, the things he's able to do with the ball, not just running, but when he has to throw the ball, he can be accurate, and he wears out the tight end. Mark Andrews had three drops in that game, should have had a touchdown. That skewed the numbers a little bit. Hayden Hurst is getting involved, and when Hollywood Brown comes back, as you point out, he's the deep threat, even if you're not throwing him the ball. And then there's everything that Lamar Jackson does behind the uh, line of scrimmage where you cannot, you can't, you literally can't get your hands on him when he decides he's going to start juking and, shi- and uh, jucking and shiving to beat, um, beat the pass rush, and then he's in the open field, and, and that's a wrap. That's a 20-yard gain automatic. And um, I, I just think he is so incredibly fun to watch. And sort of like Russell Wilson, he doesn't take a lot of huge hits, and, and that's critical to, to keeping you know him upright and him on the field, obviously. But I, I do want to see what Bill Belichick has in store because that will be the uh, ultimate arbiter of just how good Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens are at the midway point of the season. He's so tough to prepare for. It's hard for people to understand because when you've got an athlete like him, I mean, really, I think the best comparison for him once he gets downfield running is Michael Vick. Um, and so in order to prepare for that during the course of the week, because you don't have NFL rosters littered with those guys at the quarterback spot, you typically bring in a running back or wide receiver. And so those guys are playing scout team, and, and you're only allowed to be in full pads anyways once a week. So even then, you're not practicing tackling and hitting that guy and taking him to the ground during the course of the week, which is really hard to do in the course of a game, as you kind of noted and pointed out, Ryan. But then you're getting a look from a guy who may be a good athlete and maybe he can run similar to Lamar to some degree, but you're not getting a realistic look at what it's going to be like to stop him throwing the football. Or if a pass play breaks down, he scrambles and makes a play. It's not going to be the same sort of athlete. So that's the difficulty of taking on, not just from a scheme perspective, as I pointed out earlier, with how many guys you want to allocate towards the box to stop the run or stop his ability to run, but also the preparation 
yeah, one day a week in full pads now. Uh, so you're, and you're not hitting, so you're not prepared for how big and physical he is as a runner once he gets to the second level and then getting a realistic look. That's going to be anything like once you get him. You know, I, I would venture to say there's a lot more drop back quarterbacks that can mimic even some of the best drop back quarterbacks in the NFL than there is guys who can be on scout team and mimic what Lamar Jackson can do, both throwing and running the football. All right. Two follow up questions for either of you. Um, one, I was writing this first. Can he win the MVP this year? He has to beat the Patriots. That's to start there, and then they have to make a playoff run. Um, the way he's playing, the numbers don't jump out at you in terms of the passing. The rushing obviously is there, but I think if they rushing. had the same – everybody, What's that? He's sixth in rushing in terms of everybody. Right, like exactly. But this team right now, if the the Ravens 2019 went back in time and played the um, the Chargers in that playoff game, I think they win that game by two touchdowns. Um, you have to – Erase from your mind this Chargers team, the 2018 Chargers team. But I think he's improved that much. He's only going to get better, I feel like. Greg Roman's dialing up all the right plays. And we talked about this yesterday, Wilbur. Um, credit to John Harbaugh for taking chances and thinking outside the box in a league where everyone's really conservative and he's doing things to give his team the advantage. And that includes Lamar Jackson, to his credit, who insisted on doing that fourth down play that ended up getting him that touchdown to, to take the lead in the fourth quarter against Seattle. I'm going to say no unless we start to see more – uh, production and more games like we saw in the beginning of the season where he really was lighting things up down the field. I mean, Patrick Mahomes set the bar last year with 50 touchdown passes. And I think no matter what, we still look at throwing the football from the pocket and it's a really a quarterback driven award anyway that ultimately wins it. So uh, if you look at how he's been running the football, I mean, heck, they got a great win on the road versus Seattle this past week, led the team in rushing. Um, what was, was pretty dynamic, you know, in running the football at times. You don't really hear as much buzz about it. It's because he didn't put up the same type of numbers that he did throwing the football like he did earlier this season. For example, when they opened up versus the Miami Dolphins. And, and granted, it was the Miami Dolphins. We didn't know how bad, quite to the degree how bad they were. But looking back on that performance, you're still watching and saying, wow, look how much he's progressed. Look how much he's gotten better. Um, and so I think for that reason, unless he starts to have those sorts of performances, uh, even if he beats New England, I just think it's going to be hard to, to give him that award because they're ultimately going to look at his passing stats. And if they don't quite add up or they don't quite to compare to an Aaron Rodgers or Mahomes, maybe if he's come back considering what he's done, or Russell Wilson, I don't think he's winning that award. Just for the record, he's got more passing yards through seven games than he had in his seven starts last year. Um, I can't read for some reason, but he doesn't, uh, I'm trying to tell you how he had more rushing yards. He doesn't have more rushing yards. He's running the ball a little bit less. Um, I, I do think, I think you're right, Brady. If he, if he has marginal passing stats, it's going to be tough. But if he, if he's like the first guy to ever go 3,000, 1,000, maybe there's a chance. How, how do you think that the Patriots will handle him? Because they play so much man coverage. And if you play all man on the back end, obviously he can light you up by running the ball because you're chasing receivers around. Do you think they'll do some sort of spy situation? Um, Patriots are minus six, uh, look ahead line or six and a half at Baltimore on Sunday night football. Yeah, there might be times when, depending on the situation, right? Cause that's what this is all about. It's situational football with Bill Belichick. Uh, if in must passing situations, I would imagine sometimes they may only rush three and try to keep a couple spies for him. And with that rush, try to see if they can pressure him or get him to escape the pocket to the guys they want him to go to. Uh, that's going to be one of the things I think they see when they can dictate what what they're going to do, whether they're going to run uh, or throw the football. Uh, by and large, though, I think they're going to have to play more zone. And then they're going to have to play a zone that may put their secondary on islands. But as evidence of that, this past uh, Monday night versus the Jets, I think they're okay with doing that. They played a lot of zero coverage, man-to-man, with no safety help. They trust this secondary. They trust their experience. Uh, so for that reason, uh, I'm, I'm sure they're going to try to sell out and do all they can to stop Lamar Jackson uh, intermittently throughout the game. They can't do it all the time. I think Greg Roman's too good of a play caller to come up with, with some counter punches to that, uh, but enough to definitely keep him on his toes and keep him off balance. So, look, it's New England. It's Foxborough. That's a tough place to go in there and play and win. And I think so that would, that would be my idea of how that goes. I think it is in Baltimore, but is it okay? Yeah, never. But I could be wrong. I don't know if you know this. I'm wrong occasionally. That happens like once or twice a year. Um, I do have a follow up on the Patriots because I think it would be interesting to hear a former NFL quarterback uh, and not some Twitter jabroni 
explain what it's like to see Ghost or what it means to see Ghost in case you've never seen Ghost. Uh, Sam Donald, of course, I lost my audio board, but he said, I'm out there seeing Ghost. Um, and did you think it was a problem that he was mic'd up and was saying that? I think it's a problem that that actually got to national television. I mean, it, it, they're not going to be apt to let people have access to this kind of stuff again. Um, this is the, some of the stuff you kind of worry about, at least as an organization, if if you expose one of your players to having something like that happen. So uh, for that reason, I would be shocked if the Jets had another player mic'd up the rest of the season. Uh, I'm sure the NFL was going to handle this with whoever allowed that to make it to to air. Um you know, seeing ghosts is just the fact that the game is moving too fast for you. And, and you're seeing things that aren't there. It felt like watching it, like Sam Darnold thought the New England Patriots were playing with a 12th defender, right? An extra defender that's not there. Both from their rush standpoint and from their coverage standpoint. So for example, when you're going up against the zero coverage and that both zero means that they're bringing an additional guy that you cannot account for, right? Cause you're the quarterback holding the football. You have your other five eligible to potential receivers. Uh, well, running back could be blocking, tight end could be blocking, but everyone else is out in the routes and obviously everyone else is allocated towards someone in the blocking scheme. So there's going to be one guy you can't account for. And because of that, you're going to get hit. I thought he did a bad job of standing in there when he had time to address the throw, turn his body, knowing that he was going to get hit. That's part of playing quarterback in the NFL. It's why you get paid, and it's tough to do, uh, is dealing with knowing that you're going to get hit and still deliver an accurate football. There's other times when he actually had more time to set his feet. Instead of making an off-balance throw when he was trying to throw downfield, came up short, ended up being a bad throw, and ended up turning into interceptions. And then the other thing I think, if, if you're, you're going to be critical of Adam Gase and just how they were handling the pressure – you know, you gotta figure out some easier, quick solutions for them. You know, quicker throws that put the football in the hands of your receivers, and then maybe they can break the, ca- the tackle and go for a big gain or at least get the first down. Uh, you didn't see a whole lot of that. I think reason being is, after they initially got some pressure on them, they started to drop out those interior guys. So, they occupied the offensive lineman enough to make them think they were rushing, and they allowed the edge rushers then to be free, like Simon, for example, who knocked the football out of uh, Sam Darnold's hand. Uh, and that's tough to deal with, so you don't really have those quick throws on the inside. You have to work them on the outside. But that's also the reason why New England would do something like this, because they know you're in third and long. They want you to get the ball out quick. They trust their corners or DBs to come up, make a tackle, and get them down the ground. So the only other thing you could do to get them to stop doing that is to take shots downfield and make some big plays. Unfortunately, when they did that, Darnold threw some bad footballs and wasn't able to get Bill Belichick and his defense out of it. Um, and so when you talk about seeing Ghost, all of those things I just talked about were moving so fast for him that he just couldn't make the right adjustment, whether it's from making a quicker throw or better decision, getting his body set to make a more accurate throw. You know, all those things amounted to him seeing things that really weren't there. Uh, whether it's, you know, a guy dropping out underneath something or maybe a guy in coverage that he thought was going one way and it was going somewhere else. Hey, Brandy, let me ask you, cause in 2009, your third year in the league, you started nine games, played in 10. Is that when you hurt your foot or your hand? Foot. So towards the end of the season, you played the Ravens in week 10. I'm looking at the stats here and then you played the, um, the, the, excuse me, the Steelers in week 14. You actually beat the Steelers. Did you see ghosts or did you see anything that those, I'm guessing those are two best defenses you probably faced that year. Anything those defenses did as a young quarterback that blew your mind thinking back, how could I have done that differently? But in the moment you had no idea how to deal with it. No, I mean, you know, in, in those games, especially we played Baltimore on Monday football. I mean, we were just extremely outmatched. I and mean, I, I remember sitting down with John Gruden, the production meeting. He asked me point blank. He goes, do you really think you can win tomorrow? And I obviously said what every quarterback said. I said, yeah. But deep down in my heart, I knew we would have to play our best game and they'd probably have to play their worst in order for us to be able to win. That was just the reality of that team that season. You know, we had traded Kel Winslow before the year. We had gotten rid of, you know, Braylon Edwards during the early portion of the season. Um, the Ravens had a tremendous defense at that time. And now, you know, we just weren't clicking as an offense. You know, we were a young football team and we weren't a very good football team. I wasn't playing great, didn't play great in that game. Uh, I'll never forget they brought a particular blitz that we should have had picked up based on the identification. But a lot of times when you get those offensive linemen, you know, moving and that defensive front uses these different pick stunts up front, you know, you can wrap around a linebacker right up through the A gap and it's hard for our guard and center to pass it off to make a play. And I'll never forget Ray Lewis bearing down one on one and I just tried to eat it, you know, get forward, get down and live on the play the next down. But that was kind of the reality of, of how we were playing that game. The Pittsburgh game was 
negative degrees. There was a really, really, really bad wind. Um, you know, they, Pittsburgh had to attempt to throw the football a little bit more because I think we had jumped out maybe to a lead or at least started to move the football and put some points on, on the board up early. But, uh, that was, wasn't more of a product of what they were doing. That was just more of a product of the conditions. When you get that sort of wind, when it gets really difficult to throw one direction, you know, usually you're basically saying, okay, you know, what routes can we throw or do we feel good about throwing? I mean, Pittsburgh tried to throw a lot in that game, did not work out very successfully. Uh, and then we tried to run the football and mix in some, some periodic passes when we had to just in order to get that win. So, um, that was a big one for us, but again, it wasn't necessarily anything they did back then. I think early on, 2007, 2008, a lot of those walk around fronts where they had five guys standing up walking around, those were really hard for everyone in the NFL to deal with. At that point in time, you'd make a Cinco call. And, and what it meant was from all your prep beforehand, you knew there was five guys that were like the known rushers. And so your offensive line knew that they had those five guys they were assigned to in whatever form and, or fashion they came. And they would basically jelly set. So they just all kind of drop back almost with me as a quarterback and try to sort out which guy was coming where. And then the running back would just try to take one off of the edge. So, you know, those Rex Ryan defenses when he was back when he was a play caller then um, and, and what Baltimore was doing, those were some of the most difficult things to deal with when you couldn't help but be concerned about the rush because even when you thought you had it picked up, there was sometimes a guy coming free. That um, that sounds terrifying. We're like Cinco, Cinco, and then and then you just hope that everybody gets blocked. Well, like, the worst was when you played in Baltimore because not only then are you worried about these guys communicating, but you can't hear anything because it's a pretty loud place to play, and your tackles at a huge disadvantage. So you're going to snap count. That's a silent count. That gives the the defense the advantage because your tackles are reacting off the snap just like their their edge rushes are, and let alone these guys are walking around and some of them are getting a head start when they're going to run. Uh, and so th- that became problematic. That was always tough to deal with, in particular on the road. I know. Now I'm just like picturing because I mean, like you see it in like on NFL films, and it's like Ray Lewis, and it's like steam coming out of his helmet, and he's like he's like stomping around, and you don't know where he's going to come from. But like the idea of him like coming at you while holding the football—that sounds like it would suck. By the way, well, you're uh, how you just, ca- how you countered it was basically you just brought in your tight end, you brought in your running back, you made it a seven man protection, and you just left your other three wide receivers to run routes, and you were just like. We should have enough to pick this up. And at some point, someone's going to get open because it usually played some sort of zone coverage behind it. And so that was how we counteracted it. And it got him out of it from time to time. Again, as soon as you hurt them once, much like if Sam Darnold would have done it once to Bill Belichick, it probably would have got him out of doing it time and time again. Uh, no, hey, Brady, that's a good... One thing real quick. Yeah. Ray Lewis or Ed Reed, which was more concerning for Ed you? Reed. Ed Reed. Ed Reed kept you up that whole week. It was miserable. Because he would, you know, a lot of times when you're a quarterback, you base things off of, you'll say middle field open or middle field close. What that means is if there's a safety in the middle of the field, you know, you might be working one side of the field and one progression, right? They, they divide it up. And if there's two high safeties, you might be working the other side. Um, or even if it's just, you know, a certain progression, you know that if it's split safety versus post high safety, you know, you might be reading it a different way, or there might be route adjustments depending on the type of coverage within that. So the hard thing was with Baltimore was Ed would give you a lot of false reads with, with the way he would disguise his coverage, or even when he was playing post-high coverage, he might snart, start at the snap of the football before the snap on one side, trying to get you to, to throw basically to the other side. And at the snap of the football, once you kind of identify what it was, he was just in a dead sprint pattern matching based on what he saw in his pre-snap um, and his preparation before the game. So he was one of the most scary guys to go up against for that reason, I think, for a lot of quarterbacks because you were never really sure what they were doing, mostly because of his ability to disguise. By the way, just so you know, that game against Pittsburgh that you're talking about, windchill negative six, 25-mile-an-hour win. That is an impossible game to play football in, and you were correct, of course. Uh, you know, like they say about quarterbacks are like elephants. They never forget, uh, 13 nothing Browns when, uh, Jeff Reed banged down two field goals to make it 13 six. You guys won the Jeff game. Jeffy. Old Jeff Reed. He had some hair now. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, by the way, the, the whole thing with the, and we're going to do some fire short questions now, but like the cruelty of running cover zero on Sam Darnold for like 45 minutes. And then like right as the Jets are about to not like, like get in the end zone. And then like, 
faking a cover zero and having seven guys drop. And I mean, like, and there's no, he wasn't going to see it. He was screwed from the beginning, right? Like there's at that point, you're, you're not going to realize it, right? I mean, like, it just feels like well, you're, you're too shook. He was you, you, you've been, you've been hit so many times. You're shell shocked. And so you drop back and your eyes aren't looking downfield and said they're looking down at the rush and looking for a guy to come hit you when no one's there. Hence seeing ghosts. It kind of reminds me of that movie, Sixth Sense, when you saw the little kid when he's like, can I yeah. tell you a secret? I see dead people. I, I swear I thought I heard Sam Darnold say that on the sidelines at some point during the game. That, uh, that was the, um, I tweeted out the little clip of the Sam Darnold saying, uh, seeing ghosts. And that was the primary response was like the sixth sense gift. Uh, I, I thought I had a pretty good joke. It was like, coach, I'm seeing ghosts. Don't worry, Sam. I'm seeing tacos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got, uh, by the way, this is why you ask a five star question. You can go to the Apple podcast and leave a review and ask a five-star question. Like we joke, you can ask Brady for a social security number. You could ask Brady about some like serious football question that you might have. And he can give you the technical answer as opposed to some babble googly crap that, that me or Ryan would give you. Uh, and we have a couple five-star questions to ask. This is from Shannon Lorena on Apple podcast. Love this podcast. Who do you think is the most overwhelmed head coach? And who will last longer in their current franchise? A. Cliff Kingsbury or B. Freddie Kitchens? Um, I think A. Cliff Kingsbury at the moment because Kyler Murray is looking like the number one overall pick. You mean he will last longer? He's not the most overwhelmed. Cliff will last longer. He's not the most overwhelmed. Well, and that was the the second question because I feel like it was a two-parter. So I would say Cliff Kingsbury because one, they're all in on that with, with Kyler Murray. And so far, the early indications, even their losses. I mean, he's he's kind of been everything for that team, and, and that system makes a lot of sense. They're continuing to grow and get better and better. So, I would say at least at this point in time of the season, Cliff Kingsbury probably has a little better job security than Freddie Kitchens. And then look outside of you know looking at uh, what their records are right now. Look at the track record of Jimmy Haslam. I mean, hell, didn't John Clayton have a report saying that they want to fire him after the loss a couple weeks ago? Um, and so for that reason, like, I don't know if you could trust the Haslam's to be patient. I know the Bidwell's just fired Steve Wilkes after one year, but other than that, they've been kind of patient with their head coaches. So, uh, I think there's also a little bit more patience there in the desert. Uh, most overwhelmed head coach. Um, does I, it have think, to be a, a new one? No, no. I think it was actually just asking who is the most overwhelmed between those two, but I could be oh. wrong. If, so, I mean, I think Freddie Kitchens is clearly the most overwhelmed head coach. Uh, I don't know about the most overwhelmed head coach this season. I think you could put Adam Gase in that mix, considering he, he's, he's only had three games with a starting quarterback. He had to, he, had to, he literally get, went in with a backup, a guy that he wanted to sign because he knows his offense. He gets hurt, like when the first quarter, Simeon was out and you're playing with the third stringer. So, um, it's a second shot. I think he knows how hard it is to get a head coaching job after this. It's probably non-existent if this doesn't work out. It hasn't gone well. They haven't, you know, been very healthy. They don't have a great roster in the first place. And their quarterback gets mono. Like, I mean, I just you you can't dial up a worse start to a season as far as things that are kind of out of your control. So, um, he he would be one that I think after this last loss uh, could fall into that category. I've got another name, but I'll let you go if you want, Ryan, because you might have the same name as me if you got somebody else. Because I'm gonna throw. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm gonna throw Zach Taylor out there because oh, he looked. Yeah. That's a good one. Of all of these coaches. Like Freddie Kitchens is clearly overwhelmed because he's trying to call play. Like you can tell that he's like a little confused when it comes to how to make the right play calls in big moments and and sort of challenging and stuff like that. Zach Taylor looks like he's like a 12 year old playing varsity football out there. Like he's on the sidelines and he's just like, he's like, all right, let's just be methodical here. Uh, he's just sort of staring off like, Oh my God. Or like he's like a, like a, uh, He's like somebody who faked faked a resume and then got a job like on a Wall Street trading firm. And he's like down there. And he's like supposed to be trading stocks and he just has no earthly idea what he's doing. And he's just sort of staring blankly off into space and letting Andy Dalton walk up slowly the line of scrimmage. He just looks completely overwhelmed. Um, the other, Yes. He is Greg from Succession. Season yes. one anyway. Great. Wow, great. that's a great call. That is a great call. You're going to get your own, uh, Ryan Wilson analogies Twitter account, or Ryan Wilson movie oh, characters. Yeah. Somebody's- I hope so. Hopefully I'm not ever compared to that, you know, character. 
Greg is a great character there. That's I think I'd rather be the dad, even at that stage of his life, too. So, Greg, mm. you know what? Uh, fun. I don't know if it's a fun fact, but um, the uh, the dad in Succession also played the uh, the captain in Super Troopers, which that's I think right. is a is that's a right. fast Frank Ox. He really Frank got Ox. after Farva. Yeah, that's right. He did. He did. Look at you. Uh, it's a really fascinating juxtaposition to be like the the, the goofy captain. And you guys want to go to shenanigans after this, by the way? <laughs> I'd love to go to shenanigans. Say shenanigans <laughs> one more time. Um, uh, Dan Quinn could qualify too, I think, for most yeah. everyone. Yeah. One more five star question, then we're gonna do some draft talk. Uh, this is from NMC Bitsec. Okay. Uh, always informative and fun with a multitude of guests. If you only have time for one NFL podcast, this one will cover all the bases for you. Question. Do you plan to watch or cover the XFL? Who would be the biggest name you, NFL name you see ending up there? Andrew Luck's father is the commissioner, for example. Thanks. Love the podcast. Ryan, I don't know if you know this. They sent out an email while we were recording, uh, org chart update. You're our new yeah. XFL writer. So congratulations. Well, that's great news because I've been, I've been doing the XFL draft coverage in my brain for the last two months. And uh, the number one pick, and this is the only name I'm going to mention because I don't want to spoil it for other people, but the, the one name I'll mention, Landry Jones, former Steeler great. Uh, they could actually use him right now in Pittsburgh, but uh, he is going to be – he was signed by some team in the XFL. I'm not sure which team it is. I probably Dallas. Dallas, I believe, was Bob Stoops. Oh, there you was go. It not? I have to go back and look, yep. but I thought right, it was his. Uh, Stoops is there. He's a Texas – I think – I think Landry's a Texas guy. He's a Midwest guy. So I think that, I think you're right, Brady. Landry so played I, it right? The, I mean, he was yeah. incredibly prolific, you know, at Oklahoma. So it makes a lot of sense, especially if Bob Stoops is his head coach. I need to double check that, but, uh, what, 16,000 yards in college? I don't think people realize like how prolific he was as a passer. So clearly he can sling the football. I know it didn't work out in Pittsburgh. Maybe this is a better opportunity for him to work out, create some of the magic, um, that he had created during his time with Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. You're right, Brady. Uh, the uh, Dallas Renegades, Bob Stoops, Landry Jones reunited. There you go. Um, hey, works for me. Ollie, Luck. Mark Tressman's involved. How about Doug Whaley is like the assistant commissioner? I, I want to be Doug Whaley in my next life because that guy knows how to find a job. <laughs> I mean, it's There's like something to be said for that. Like he, Buddy Nick's drafted EJ Manuel. And then retired and gave Doug the job. And Doug and people and EJ Manuel clearly sucked at that point already. And no offense to EJ Manuel, he just wasn't, I mean, just wasn't going to work out as a first round pick. People were surprised by it. Uh, and they're, and they're like, so this is Doug's, or this is a buddy's pick, right? And Doug's like, nope, my pick. And then he gets fired and he still lands this cush job, uh, working behind old Ollie Luck. All right. Let's do some NFL draft talk. This is a new weekly segment we're going to do with Brady, who also covers college football. Uh, where were you going this weekend, by the way? We're going to Columbus. Buckeyes are hosting the Badgers, so big one oh. there in Columbus. Oh, Would have been bigger had Wisconsin not laid an egg last week in Champaign. Okay, yeah. So, um, you don't, you're not, you're just doing the pregame, correct? Sure. You know what? I don't know if we could do it because of, uh, like rights violations, but it would be fun if we'd gotten video of Brady donning a cowboy hat before Oklahoma, Texas, and just, par- you grabbed it off somebody's head and you were like parading around the set. I was like, man, I was like, oh, Brady only had fun someone, with us. Someone had to pick Texas. So unfortunately I had to fall on the sword for that one. Did you really think they were going to win? No, no. <laughs> it was, it was sort of close by Oklahoma standards. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way of putting it, Ryan. Uh, All right, where – and Ryan, of course, is our NFL draft expert on CBSSports.com. Where do you stand, Brady, on the Joe Burrow versus uh, Tua? Because I'm I'm never going to call him by his last – just Tua. Tonga Vailoa, but yeah. Tonga Vailoa. Tonga Vailoa. I'll get it down by the time it fell. Where do you stand on Burrow versus Tua at the first overall pick right now? I think Burrow's just going to end up being the guy that, based on the film when you watch him, the way he operates within their system, a lot of similarities to an NFL system. Uh, you know, you can make the case he's, he's played better in bigger moments. I mean, this, is, this will be his third top 10 team he takes on this upcoming week versus Auburn, another decent defense. And there is talent at the wide receiver spot, but go back and watch the tape versus their game in Austin. I mean, he's making some really tight window throws and some big moments in that game to get wins. Uh, and so he, to me... With the way he's operated within that offense, uh, the way he's played so far this year, he's a coach's son. Like you, he checks all the boxes as far as the intangibles. 
Uh, and he's a good athlete. Like he's a much better athlete than people give him credit. I think this is the guy that will end up maybe not getting quite as much buzz. Uh, because he's not Tua and doesn't have all the track record, and I don't even know if LSU will win a national championship. They're definitely going to compete for, for, compete for one, but when it's all said and done, he's my number one quarterback prospect heading into the 2020 draft, and I don't know that there's much that could happen right now that's really going to change that opinion moving forward. Brady, wow. mind meld. This is my first mock. Uh, let's see. I've done seven or eight mock drafts. This is my first mock draft coming out Wednesday morning where I have Joe Burrow going first ahead of Tua. It's always been Tua. I think Justin Herbert maybe went once early on in September. Uh, you can see it there. So I have Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati, and you're right. He's a sneaky good athlete. He makes a lot of tight window throws. He actually takes some hits back there, not often, but in the Vandy game, he took a beating, and he still made a lot of great throws, doesn't make poor decisions. He already has a touchdown record single season at LSU through seven games. He um, he surpassed uh, DeMarcus – I mean, uh, what was his name? Who's the guy that won the Heisman your year, Brady? DeMarcus uh, Russell. What's his name? No, Jamarcus didn't win the Heisman. Jamarcus Smith did. Oh, sorry, but Jamarcus Russell in 07 set the record yeah. and, uh, originally, and we just saw Joe Burrow break that. Mike Malcasso had that record. So I love him. And here's a question I want to ask you, Brady, because with Joe Burrow, he works with less. Like I said, he gets pressured occasionally. He still has a lot of weapons, uh, the wide receiver position with Jefferson and uh, Jamar Chase. One well, Terrace Marshall too. I would actually make the case that they've got just as good as a complement of wide receiver as, as Tua does, but they've played better teams, so he's had to make you know better throws, better plays, and that offensive line's really good too. So at least from that standpoint, like I haven't, I mean, the Vandy game maybe won. There's been some other times he's received a little bit of pressure, but uh, you know, and, and we'll see more this week. But um, he's outperformed everyone so far. So my uh, concern with Tua, and there are very few concerns, but. He literally has all time, every, all day to throw in the pocket. Yeah. He has five legit guys he can throw to who will always be wide open. And it's just sort of hard to do that evaluation when you're trying to translate that to going to someplace like Miami where it's going to be 180 degrees from what he's had to, uh, what he enjoyed the last three years in Alabama. Yeah. And I think one of the things he's going to see is we, whenever he gets pressure, at least going back to the national championship game and some other moments too, he struggled. I mean, he struggled. Granted, he was banged up in the SEC championship game last year when he left with that ankle injury where he got operated. Same thing's happening this year, now different ankle. Um, but he, he struggled versus teams that have bought pressure on him as far as diagnosing and understand quick answers and where to go with the football. So that's concerning. Uh, the one thing I'd say, though, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was previously a play caller at the NFL level. So he, he has, you know, he's experiencing an NFL style offense, uh, even though Sarkeesian's coached the majority of his football uh, at the college level. There's definitely concern about him just throwing to wide open guys all the time. You know, he's a Jerry Judy, is a Tua Tagovailoa. It's obviously a combination of both, uh, and he's going to be tested. You know, once he comes back, I think he's going to try to make it back for the LSU game. Uh, I think there's there's got to be concern about just injuries in general. I mean, this is twice now he's had the same procedure done. There's this you know iron rope around his high ankle uh, in order for him to be able to get back and, and, and deal with all this. So uh, I think moving forward, the fact that he's already had those two surgeries. And he's a guy who's mobile, likes to kind of scramble around, kind of Russell Wilson-esque. You know, you just wonder, uh, you know, Russell Wilson didn't face him any of those hits or deal with those sorts of injuries. Tua Tagovailoa has. I mean, if that's a precursor for the NFL, I think you'd be a little bit worried. There's also some times where I'm kind of concerned about him uh, anticipating getting the ball out early. I don't know that he always, you know, does that. He's improved on that this year. But there's some times where he could get rid of the football quicker because uh, you've got to do that in the NFL. It's all about throwing guys open, anticipating windows. I think Burrow already has a pretty good feel for that. So um, that's one of the, the differences, too, that I think in his play could be problematic in the future. What about, um, Ryan, in your mock draft? Brady mentioned that he's going to uh, wherever it is that Ohio State was. Columbus. Okay, it's in Ohio State. I couldn't remember. The big horseshoe, as they say. Um, you got Chase Young at number three. Mm-hmm. Best overall awesome. prospect. Best overall he's, prospect. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, and it's not even close. Like, if the Bengals took Chase Young, I wouldn't hate them for that. Maybe they like Ryan Finley. I don't know. I think they're probably going for Andy Dalton. But Chase Young feels like the cleanest guy in terms of drafting a guy and not having to worry about it. All he does is beat beat the person in front of him. He gets into the back of him incredibly quickly. He's strong. He's fat. He does everything you want. So you draft that guy, just like we said about Nick Bosa last year. You draft him and you feel fine about it. He's he's healthier than Nick Bosa. So that's that's the plus there. So, yeah, the Redskins need a ton of help. At number three, I've had them taking Jerry Judy in the past just because that team is depleted of any playmakers outside of Scary Terry. 
But um, it certainly makes sense to draft a defensive end, certainly the best player in the draft if you have him at number three. Um, if for some reason the Redskins do something crazy at number three, I think the Falcons would love to have Chase Young fall to them, given all the needs they have. But, yeah, l- like I said, and, and I'm Brady, I'm curious what you think, you cannot go wrong with Chase Young. No, you can't. I was just thinking, by the way, Joe Burrow, he's from Southern Ohio, so it'd make a lot of sense for the Bengals to kind of get that crowd and get the fan base there ignited. Uh, a lot of people still love him uh, from from his days at Ohio State. But to Chase Young, another Ohio State player, uh, it would make a lot of sense considering this. If, look, look at the rest of the NFC East. Wentz is going to be there for a while. I think Dak's going to be there for a while, at least if we're basing it off of his most recent performance. And obviously Daniel Jones. And so you've got to have a counter to that. You've got to have a guy who can get after opposing quarterbacks and I think you've you, you've got that, you know, you, you've got Dwayne Haskins. If we're assuming he's their future at quarterback, you better have a guy who can get after opposing quarterbacks. So it would make a lot of sense. It's definitely a need for them. Uh, he's a very very rare athlete. You know, reminds you of Jadavion Clowney, almost a little bit more filled out. Uh, however, you're not concerned about the production and all of that. I mean, he's still making plays regardless of what they try to do to him. Um, and, and I think everyone knows or assumes he's going to be leaving after this year. So you don't worry about like, hey, where did Javion Clowney go after that big hit versus Michigan in the bowl game where he disappeared until he got drafted again? That's not the case with Chase Young. So very freaky, rare athlete for his size, the way he bends, the way he can get around the corner. The most impressive thing is his closing speed. Dude, when he gets around the edge of that tackle – it's like a straight line to the quarterback, and you just don't see many guys who have the ability at that size, and given the circumstances of a, probably another 300-plus pound guy pushing on you, be able to just put your foot in the ground and then get parallel and then all of a sudden close in on the quarterback. It is freaky, and it's a ton of fun to watch on film. Thank God I'm done playing quarterback uh, in the NFL. <laughs> uh, Brady, I'm gonna throw up, we're going to throw up this top ten. You might have it in front of you anyway. Be prepared. You know what you're doing. Who else stands out to you? Uh, from Ryan Wilson's top 10 that you would be keeping that, that, that our listeners should be keeping a, a, an eye on this weekend when they're watching college football. Yeah, a couple guys. I mean, for starters, Jerry Judy, uh, they need a playmaker there in Denver, especially with move on from Emmanuel Sanders. Sutton's a big body target, but Jerry Judy's got speed and he's got the ability to, to get open downfield. So they're, they're missing that in their offense. Uh, Worfs hasn't had as good of a year as I thought. I'll be curious to see at the end of the season if he does indeed go top 10. He's a mammoth of a man. He's really strong. And obviously the Chargers need that help, so it makes a lot of sense. I just don't know if it's worse that ends up going in that spot. Um, Jeffrey Akuda, I freaking love this kid at cornerback for Ohio State. He's every bit of 6'1 plus probably. Really long, was just breaking down their tape of him uh, and playing Northwestern. I think the best thing for him is Jeff Halfley, their co-defensive coordinator, came from the NFL level. And he's implementing a little bit more zone coverage. So where in the past he played predominantly press man-to-man, and he's phenomenal at that, now he's playing a little bit more off. And so he's getting a little bit more variety uh, in case he goes to a team like the Giants who aren't going to sit there and just put him in press man-to-man coverage on the island all the time, even though he can do that. So uh, appropriate spot for him. He's the best cover quarterback in this draft. Absolute stud, willing tackler, good ball skills. He's the complete package. Like he's literally just a top ten pick waiting to go in the draft, and it would make a lot of sense for the Giants. Yeah, Akuda, Damon Arnett, Sean Wade's another guy to watch. Keep an eye on this weekend, and they're all going to go. They, you, you want to know what's funny? Is I was talking to the crew that called the game this past Friday night, and obviously it's a Friday night game, so a lot of NFL general managers were in town for it. And everything else, they can make time for it. Uh, one of the one of the general managers was was talking to one of the coaches at Ohio State, and he said, "Hey, who do you guys have next week? The Packers, the Bears?" He's just looking around. He's like, "The entire defense is a draft pick. Like literally, yeah. they're all that talented. They rotate their front, and all those guys are that good. So they are a freaky, freaky team on that side of the football." So, Brady, um, you might have noticed a name not on that list, and uh, I credit Brinson for, for lighting a fire under me to, to st- put your flag in the ground and, and stake your claim early. I am off the Justin Herbert bandwagon. He is so frustrating to watch. I know they won last week in Washington. Jacob Beeson outplayed him. He does so many things well. He does not do them consistently well, and I feel like he has one of the best offensive lines in college football. I know he doesn't have any receivers, but if he is going to be a top three pick, he has to play more consistently. He hasn't done it. I have him going 19th to the Jaguars in this latest mock draft. And I'm not even sure the Jaguars want him. I know they have Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew. But I am off the Justin Harper bandwagon. Yeah, so you're you're seeing basically what I saw last year, watching a ton of tape on him preparing for the bowl game. And then the early part of this year, I thought the Auburn game, he kind of showed me a bit more consistency and more playmaking ability and played pretty well in that game. And he has made strides. 
Um, but you know, there are times where you just see him not be able to consistently make the throws that he should be able to make. Uh, there's a few things that bother me though in trying to evaluate him. I think the offense is terrible for his skill set. He's such a good athlete and such a good runner. They should incorporate him running the football way more within this offense and they don't. Um, the fact that he's in pistol a lot of times too and they're doing some of their play action where the running backs behind you in shotgun, you're not going to see that in the NFL. He's not going to have to do it. So you just kind of worry about maybe a little bit of his transition to the NFL style anyway. Um, so that's a little bit of an issue. I think, I think it makes it harder for him to play within rhythm of the pocket, meaning, you know, his feet and his body moving through his progressions. So you see him work from one to two to three before he takes off or checks down or whatever he decides to do. So, um, that, that concerns me. And then the other thing that I, I saw last year, and I really haven't seen him improve upon this year, he's got a, an absolute hose for an arm. The problem is, is he doesn't do a great job where he really he can like feather a throw and throw over a defender, but in front of the next line of defense and then into like a window for a dig route. You've got to do that sometimes in the NFL. Um, that's kind of where you mentioned talking about throwing guys open. I don't see him, fr- I don't see him doing that very often. Um, and, and so that's something that he's got to continue to try to develop. So if you're looking at raw talent, skill and ability, I can see why they take him top five. But if you want someone who's played the position at a really high level and is going to be able to come in and do that, that doesn't need development because we really can't develop quarterbacks anymore in the NFL, then I would be concerned for those reasons. Mm. All right. I like it. Ryan, uh, look, again, I'm going to encourage you. You should write a piece. It's like Wilson colon Herbert sucks. And that's like the whole title. That's the whole title. And then that way when, when he stinks, um, you'll be on it. And then if like, you know, if, if he's good, no one will throw that back in your face ever again. All right. We're going to get at but um no, so yeah, yeah yeah no one being a draft guy is easy no one ever reminds you um <laughs> <laughs> we'll be doing this every tuesday and we'll be doing this little draft segment because we like it it's good to get people aware it's actually just a learning session for me to make mock drafts easy, easier for me if you have a prospect you would like us to talk about leave it in the reviews or uh or go to our facebook page and tell us there ryan will be doing an ama on wednesday that's when they're actually listening to this. I will be jumping in every Tuesday. You can go to Facebook.com and search Pick 6 Podcast. It's a private group. You apply, basically, and Debo will approve you. And then you can make you can ask questions about us on there or ask questions to us there. So Brady, Ryan, uh, everybody. Fun time. Talk to you guys next week. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.